Old Vines Written by Sevdrak and read by Literarian Chapter 29 Soft Tones of Violet and Red Part 2 Since Aziraphale's home earlier than expected, he finds Warlock curled up in one of the comfortable recliners in the great room with the book in his lap. He has a glass of wine next to him, mostly empty, and Aziraphale slides himself into a seat at the broad dining-room table and drops his head to rest on his arms, folded on the table. Wait, Warlock says, once he realizes that Aziraphale's back. What the fuck? Don't tell me that it went badly. Oh, Aziraphale says, lifting his head. No, I mean, well, not necessarily bad, but not immediately good either. Right, says Warlock, and there's an edge to his voice that Aziraphale has never heard before. Stay right there, we are going to talk. So Aziraphale stays. For a while, until he realizes that even though he isn't hungry at all, he hasn't eaten nearly enough today to deal with this kind of emotional upheaval, and he moves into the kitchen. Luckily, he and Warlock and Madame Tracy have all independently gathered quite the collection of appetizer-type snacks, and Aziraphale has a lovely selection of crackers and cheese and cherry tomatoes and slices of cucumber and locally made hummus and sausage slices and French bread and olive oil and... Aziraphale's outdoing himself in some desperate attempts to make things better. But it will make things better if he has a good healthy meal, he tells himself, and brings the series of plates out to the dining room table. He then goes back to browse through their wine collection. He isn't sure whether Warlock wants white or red, and he doesn't want to preemptively make a decision that makes Warlock be cranky. He's had quite enough to deal with already today. He's busy assembling himself a selection of bread and cheese and tomato when Warlock comes back down the stairs. He's got a bottle of Armagnac VSOP in his hand. Aziraphale sits back, surprised. Brandy's one of the things he loves to do tastings of occasionally, and that's one of his favorites. Why does Warlock have that specific bottle? Maybe the boy's trying to get himself into finer liquors. That would be nice. All right, Warlock says. He stomps into the kitchen and gets two glasses. His he fills with ice, Aziraphale's is delivered empty. He pours out two, three fingers into the glass and then sits down across from Aziraphale. His stampede holds a bit when he sees the spread of food across the table. Oh, Warlock says, and reaches out for the sausage. Thanks. I haven't eaten much today, Aziraphale admits. 
I wasn't hungry. That happens, Warlock says. For a few moments, they sit and eat in silence. Aziraphale appreciates it. His head feels like it's full of cotton and there's exhaustion weighing heavily behind his eyes. Seeing Crowley was brilliant and terrible. He's so much more aware of what he's done. He's so much more aware of what he could lose. And how can he not have an answer for Crowley, sitting there and staring into those beloved eyes? What kind of coward is he? Read your book, says Warlock. He's building a sandwich out of the crackers, hummus and cucumber. Far better than the one you've been sending Gabriel. There's still a serious note in his voice that's exceedingly unusual. Aziraphale hasn't heard him quite so cold since they'd first worked out the contract with FTA. Thank you, I think. Aziraphale realizes he's drained his glass and Warlock slides the bottle across the table with a sigh. He says nothing, though, so Aziraphale keeps picking at his plate as Warlock finishes his small army of sandwiches. They pass the bottle back and forth over the giant, empty dining room table. Aziraphale isn't really sure what he's waiting for. Apparently, Warlock has something to say. It's probably another conversation about how much hurt Aziraphale has caused. Two in one day, with no sleep, too. There's a strangely tense camaraderie in the air, but Warlock's voice has Aziraphale worried. He's waiting, but they just keep filling their glasses and then pushing the bottle back across the table. Aziraphale isn't really sure what to say. Is there anything to say? It isn't like he and Warlock are... They have a business relationship. It would be entirely improper to open up to him, to talk to him like... Like... Well... Like family. But who else here is on Aziraphale's side? It isn't even about sights, Angel. Warlock makes a noise, and Aziraphale realizes he's let his face fall from his normal, stoic expression. He glances up, shocked, and watches as Warlock takes one more big swallow and sets his glass down on the table like he's making a decision. All right. His voice is more serious, more grave, more confident than Aziraphale's ever heard it before, at least addressed to him. Are you ready to listen? Because there's something I want to tell you, but I'm not going to bother unless you're actually listening to me. Aziraphale gapes. Warlocks never talked to him quite like this before. He nods, knowing his eyes are wide, and reaches for his own glass. 
Do you know who you are? Warlock starts, and then, as Aziraphale opens his mouth, Nope, no, shut up. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. You. And he punctuates it with a sharp gesture, pointing his finger. You are listening. Aziraphale makes a little mumble that's part scoff, part sarcastic, and part apology. But he does, in fact, shut his mouth. You, says Warlock, pointing again. You're Azetfell. You have decades of experience and expertise and knowledge about what you do and what only you do. You are incredibly marketable. You have years of public bank account proving that you're talented. You're popular on your own and you're big because of you and what you offer. You make the content. The finger levels at Aziraphale with a stability that surprises him, seeing as half of the bottle is gone. You're the one with value. Proven value. Aziraphale opens his mouth again, because that isn't right. Warlock's just being flattering. Warlock continues, his voice going even sharper. You're the talent. You're the resource. And you need to eventually stop letting them turn you into another cog in the machine. You come with worth in your back pockets, ass, and you could go anywhere and make a fortune just doing what you do. No, no, no. And his hand slams onto the table. You are not talking yet. You are going to listen to me, and the only words you are allowed to say are, Oh, Warlock, you're absolutely right. Oh, Warlock, Aziraphale begins feeling a bit shaken. But you must be... No! It's nearly a shout. Warlock has never even looked at Aziraphale like this before, as if there are certain rules to this universe and they are absolutely all under his control and he is breaking them all right now. Do you know who I am? Aziraphale... Having figured out that these aren't questions he's meant to answer, takes a sip of the brandy and remains still. He's trying to keep his fingers from shaking against the glass. I'm Warlock fucking Dowling. Warlock slams his finger into the table on each piece of his name. I have worked exits and loopholes and choices and chances and do every single contract you've ever signed because I know my shit and I know how to protect you from yourself. I have researched this situation so deep that I could recite the last 10 years of the Food and Travel Adventures business plan and I have constructed the most ruthless fucking contract you've ever seen. Aziraphale's aware that his eyes are wide and his fingers are actually shaking on the glass. He swallows, but he isn't looking away. 
I am the motherfucking son of Thaddeus Dowling, possibly the smarmiest, trickiest and most annoyingly ingratiating ambassador to ever hold the job, and Harriet Dowling, who has made an entire political career of being underestimated. Warlock's eyes are dark now, burning, and they haven't left Aziraphale for a second. I have two degrees in this work, a number of satisfied clients, and years of working behind the scenes to win you every single battle you never even knew was being fought. The finger comes down to, this time, tap gently on the table. As, I'm only going to tell you this once, so I want you to have the full context of what I mean when I say it. Aziraphale staring. Something strange is gathering in the back of his head, like a wave pulling back, swelling, waiting for the crash. Warlock taps his finger again like a pay-attention gesture. You need to understand the background to really understand what this statement means, okay? He takes a deep breath and narrows his eyes, holding every ounce of Aziraphale's attention. The thing about... about being who I am is that I can get you into or out of anything. Warlock particularly enunciates the words, probably to make sure Aziraphale's getting it. And the thing about being who you are is that the opportunities are truly limitless. I haven't spent this long doing what I do to get either of us locked into a corner. If you want something and you tell me to do it, I can make anything happen. Aziraphale swallows. Certainly it can't be that easy. Certainly it isn't really an option, all things considered. Don't you look away from me. Warlock nearly hisses at him, although he isn't angry. He's lit up from the inside, a sudden burning brand facing him down. Aziraphale has the realization, deep down in his gut, that this must be what Warlock looks like when he's at the table with Gabriel or Michael or any of the other editors they've worked with over the years. This is the Warlock that won him that contract. He knows now. This is the Warlock that's acted like a buffer zone between Aziraphale and Gabriel for three years running. I can make anything you want happen. Warlock slides back so that he's sitting upright in his chair, palms resting on the table. He looks like a corporate executive in the boardroom. So, the question. And this is the real question now, Aziraphale. What is it that you want. Aziraphale realizes he's breathing hard, his heart pounding. 
This is... This is as much of a shock as speaking with Crowley. Same sensation, just along a slightly different wavelength. He feels stunned. There's nothing that he can say right now. He's suddenly struck dumb of all of the words usually at his command. Warlock stands up. He fills Aziraphale's glass nearly to the top and then pauses a moment, gathering up the folder with the book, his glass and the bottle of brandy. I don't want you to answer right now. You need to think about this. Who you are and who I am, and what that means you can do. Literally anything, Aziraphale. I'm not even asking for a final plan. A few guidelines works. He grabs a couple slices of the bread and cuts off sausage and balances the plate on top of the folder. I just need you to give me something to work with. Something that you want, because this, well, this... Here he makes a gesture with the hand holding the bottle that clumsily encompasses the house. This is stagnant. This is a stalemate. You tell me what you need and I'll get it for you. He turns towards the stairs, somehow balancing all of his items, and it just makes Aziraphale wonder how many things he doesn't know about Warlock Dowling. Think about it, ass. And get some sleep. You look like shit. Aziraphale watches Warlock climb the stairs, his arms full, and feels like he's been skinned raw today. He's back out on the porch. It's past midnight, he has no idea what time it is, and he has his most comfortable cardigan wrapped around himself. He's wearing his slippers. Aziraphale has tucked himself up into one of the corners of the wide square of benches. The solid wood behind his back is bracing, which is good because Aziraphale feels unbalanced. Slight, as if his edges and surfaces have eroded. He feels raw and unprotected. It's strange. So he's wedged himself into this corner and wrapped himself into his cardigan, plus one of the many blankets in the house. This one's a pale rose grey, plush and soft. It looks pale and colourless in the spare light of the night. The vineyard around him is all grayscale. The wind makes flickering shadows that catch in Aziraphale's peripheral vision. He's tired. He's so very tired. It's been a while since he went an entire night without sleep and then two conversations that each took everything he had to offer. God, he wants sleep. 
It's a few days past the full moon, and it's still bright out here on the porch. Aziraphale shifts, and then brings his legs up onto the bench so that he can tuck his chin into his knees and wrap his arms around. There's a bright star in the sky he thinks is a planet. Jupiter? Saturn? He'd read something about it in the local paper just a while ago. Some stellar opportunities accompanying the full moon. It seems ominous. He shivers. Aziraphale wants to wonder how he came to this, although he knows. He knows. This trip has cracked him open like an egg, broken him like a vase. And yet it's a break that will heal better, he already knows. Like those vessels rebuilt with gold, mending their damaged edges. Or he hopes so. What does he want? Somehow out here in the darkness, under an almost full moon and the light of at least one bright planet, in this midnight of grace, Aziraphale lets himself consider it. Here, in the middle of this fairyland, shadows flickering around him and cool wet wind touching his face, Aziraphale lets himself think without boundaries. What does he want? He wants to write the way he has been. He wants to write that book, the one that's the story of himself and Crowley. The one that tells the tale of how AZ fell, fell in love with California wine country. He wants to write other books in this style. This lovely stream of language pouring from him now that there's a crack in the dam. He wants to write about whatever bursts from his fingertips. He wants to write that book about fresh bread and goat cheese. He wants to write an entire novel about Crowley's old vines in Fandal, the story of the vines from their planting date through today, the story of a vine in the vineyard moving slow from hibernation to budburst through tempering into blossoming and fruit set, all the phases he's watched them go through at Crowley's side. He wants to see where this new tidal wave of words can take him. He wants to continue with his blog, too. He loves his blog, replying at random to real people who have commented on his posts with whatever story or insight they have to share. But he wants it to be his blog again. He wants to be able to talk about strengths and weaknesses. Professionally, of course, he isn't a monster, and he doesn't want to have to go through and edit and add strings of search engines to improve his statistics. He wants to share his experience online, and he does want to build readerships, but he doesn't want to do it that way. He likes the communication, the interactions. He wants that kind of blog again. 
Aziraphale does want to continue to make reasonable money. Honestly, he doesn't actually need all of the salary he's getting from FTA. It's built him up a nice savings account, but it isn't like he needs that much to be comfortable. He isn't ready to throw himself into unemployment, that's all. And Warlock, dear angry Warlock, who has certainly tied his own fate to Aziraphale's star, he wants to keep making enough that he can pay Warlock what he's worth. And then some. He does realize, after tonight, that he absolutely has not been aware of all the ways Warlock has been working for him. He doesn't want to be rich, no. But he does want to choose some sort of option that lets him do... Hmm, lets him have these kinds of opportunities occasionally. A few months somewhere new. Something more substantial than a long weekend. A real chance to experience a culture's flavors. Being, well, successful? Enough to be able to do that occasionally is suddenly very important to him. He doesn't want to go back to being barely able to afford his own flat. That's just right out. Aziraphale tilts his head so that his cheek rests against his knee. He looks up at the stars. He's never really studied the night sky. It's beautiful, sure, but it isn't the kind of thing you can touch and taste, a thing he can smell and feel and put into his own mouth. Aziraphale cannot consume the stars and make their atoms a part of what he is. He's a creature of the short term. He wants immediate feedback with as many of his senses as he can possibly involve. It makes him think of Crowley. Not that Crowley has anything against instant gratification, really. Aziraphale's seen and felt and tasted him with a desperate urgency on his lips, yes. But Crowley plays a longer game. Watching those vines as they slowly bud and grow and set, year after long year, making changes that may not be seen for months and months. The vines themselves... Aging two, three, four years in the basement. Crowley having to wait three years to taste one change. How does he do it? Crowley would like the stars, Aziraphale thinks. Crowley would like to watch them, small infinitesimal changes over the course of a night, a week, a month. He wants Crowley. It isn't hard to admit it out here, black sky above, the unrelenting gaze of the stars at his back. Aziraphale stands up. He kicks off his slippers. He wraps the blanket around his shoulders and steps off the porch. With the full moon, 
he can see his way through the vineyard that surrounds the house. Aziraphale chooses a row and starts walking. He pauses frequently to touch a leaf or to check the cluster of grapes. Some of them are just starting to ripen, their pale green skins showing faint tints of rose, red, maybe burgundy. The vineyard is still unsaturated under the moon. Aziraphale doesn't trust his eyes to properly identify the colors. Still, he can see the regions on each grape that are slowly starting to darken. Aziraphale plucks one off and puts it in his mouth. He knows these grapes are too tart unripe, but he enjoys the shock of it, that sour tang that ends with just a hint of the sweetness that's to come. It rings quietly in his mouth, a sparkling tone that fades off into the moonlight like the rest of the winery. He wants Crowley. And that may mean distance, travel, long weekends. Aziraphale's apartment in L.A. is nearly a six-hour drive from the Russian River Valley. He assumes he'll need to stay in Los Angeles, make new publishing connections if FTA isn't willing to meet his... Aziraphale stops, freezing, with the echo of a grape in his mouth and his hand resting on the back of a vine. His... Demands? Who the hell does he think he is? He can't make demands of FTA. Gabriel will... Gabriel will. That softly blooming place in Aziraphale's head opens, protective petals spreading. Gabriel is... What if Gabriel wasn't his boss? What if Gabriel went away? What if, for one moment, Aziraphale could throw off the weight of his worry and fear of Gabriel's reactions, like dropping the blanket from his shoulders and letting it pool on the ground? What if, just in this moonlit moment, Aziraphale could admit to himself that his panic and fear around Gabriel aren't healthy. Aziraphale thinks about it, turns the situation around, imagines Gabriel treating Warlock like that, or Crowley. His spine bristles up in righteous anger at that, and that's... Oh. Aziraphale breathes out slowly through pursed lips. Well, that's suddenly as clear as glass. Aziraphale's breath is coming faster, harder, as he thinks about all the things he's done for Gabriel all of the ways that content manager fucking Gabriel has used him, abused him even, and how what Gabriel wants isn't what Aziraphale actually wants at all. 
Gabriel has been putting him down since the first day he signed on. Gabriel has made Aziraphale so afraid of his reactions that Aziraphale panics every time they speak. Gabriel has him wound up so tight that he hurt Crowley badly, deeply, because he couldn't control his reactions around Gabriel. He hurt Crowley, and like Crowley said, it wasn't even the matter at hand. It's the way Aziraphale always jumps, because he's scared to make Gabriel upset, because when Gabriel is upset, he makes Aziraphale feel like his only worth is his ability to occasionally output 40 words per minute. Well, Aziraphale whispers out loud to the vines. He is a right bloody bastard, isn't he? Of course nothing responds, but something inside of him shifts. It's terrifying telling these things to the moonlit vines, but it's almost cathartic. I won't continue working for Gabriel, Aziraphale says, as a test, his voice so small and faint it's barely more than a whisper. He waits. Nothing happens around him, save the breeze that runs through, gently overturning the grape leaves to show their paler bellies for a moment before they settle in place again. I want to write my own book and my own blog. Aziraphale murmurs a bit louder. He tugs the blanket around himself, digs his toes into the soil. If they're willing to let me do that, fine. But if not, I'll... He trails off. It's so, so hard to say it. It goes against nearly every principle Aziraphale has been following for years, but it rings true in his bones. I'll leave FTA! he announces to the grapes. It's daring, thrilling, exhilarating. I'll leave. I'll, well, um, I'll work with Warlock and I'll go off on my own and find somewhere else to publish my book. The grapevines rustle in the wind, as if giving silent applause. And I'll... He continues, feeling oddly bolstered out here, feet in the soil and moonlight on his face. I'll... I'll tell Crowley that I'm in, that I want to try. Truly, I'll ask Crowley to... to be my... partner? Hmm. I'll need a better term, but either way. The night sky has no suggestions. Aziraphale may have to write it out of himself. Sit down before the keyboard and let his mind reach out through his fingers the same way the book he wants has been written. If he lets himself write it, the words will come from whatever vast mist of inspiration he's unlocked inside of him. 
It's this life, Aziraphel realizes. This life here in wine country. This fake little life he and Warlock have made for themselves, with Warlock's friends nearby and Crowley down the road and good food everywhere. Inspiration around every corner. It's this life here that opened that door. Aziraphale is suddenly exhausted, but in a strangely comfortable way. Good heavens, he's been awake for over 36 hours at this point. He's done a good deal of his thinking. He's whispered his secrets into the vineyard. He thinks this time, at least, he may be able to sleep. Aziraphale sleeps until noon. Heavens! It would be embarrassing, really, were anyone but Warlock here to see him. Warlock has his tea waiting and some fresh fruit and sits to keep Aziraphale company until his breakfast is finished. Aziraphale tells Warlock what he wants. Warlock's eyes light up. It's strange. Aziraphale had never noticed that passion before, that steel strength Warlock has inside him, until yesterday. Now he can't fail to see it, this young man desperate to do a good job. All things Aziraphale knows seem turned upside down somewhat. He leaves Warlock to review his documents and make his plans and build their options. He brings his trusty tablet out to the deck because he feels like he has a lot of things he wants to get out of his head and into its pages. He picks up his mobile to reach out to Crowley to see where he is and what he's doing. To make plans. Aziraphale feels nothing more complicated than a faint sense of very significant relief. He feels like a grape on the verge of ripening, just beginning to darken and come into its own.